to The Walrus and the Carpenter. I am Jason Allgood, the teaching pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and with me is my good friend Gary Gear, the pastor of Calvary Baptist Bible Church here in the beautiful uh, Peoria, Illinois. It's a, it's a metropolitan area that, that is second to none. How, how about it, Gary? It is the dividing line between the Cubs and the Cardinals. <laughs> that is true. It is. It is. It is, is the dividing line, and as usual this year, the Cardinals are proving themselves superior to the Cubs, Although I don't know if they will to the Red Sox. So. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, series right now for sure. Uh, one thing about Gary that you need to know is his his uh, brush is so broad that he just sweeps all kinds of uh, movements, religious or others, uh, up underneath that that broad brush uh, that he has. What do you- <laughs> <laughs> to what are you referring? If I may. Uh, well, so there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion going on about the strange fire conference. Yes, the the broad brush uh, that they people have said MacArthur had uh, taken with the whole uh, charismatic movement and everything, and it, it does kind of lead into our topic uh, for today. I think a bit uh, about uh, is it okay to have a simple faith? Is it okay to be simplistic when it comes to our faith? And, and probably one of the things that uh, you and I would agree upon, there are many things we agree upon, but one of the things that we would agree upon is that people who claim to have a simple faith can be probably more easily swept up into movements that you and I would say, if nothing else, might detract the main, from the main thing. Define for me simple faith. From 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 your point of view, what 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 would you define as simple faith, and how would you believe others are defining simple faith? Well, I, just to give it as um, I've heard it, uh, and then I'll maybe give my definition of what I think I hear people saying. Um, I've had people say to me, you know, theology is not important. Uh, I just have a simple faith. And when people say that to me, what I hear them saying is, I really um, want to have a Christianity that is easily tacked on to my life, but doesn't really affect much of anything. And, and maybe to give them the benefit of the doubt, there's a lack of understanding of what theology really is, which typically when somebody brings that sort of an argument to me, I'll, I'll sit down with them and say, but do you understand what you're saying? So does that make sense? Are no, you following no. that? It, it, it definitely does. Now, the question I would ask you next then, is this a result of culture or is this the result of an internal theological topography or do you say, think it's a combination of the two? What what do you see leading to this? And I guess as, an, as a follow-up question, is this something we've seen existing in the past in church history? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that um, the, to answer your first question, I would say I, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's a, um, you know, for lack of better a better way to put it, uh, Finneyism, just this easy believism, this come forward, say a prayer, uh, you're in the club after you do this, and... Then from there, the lack of follow-up in regard to discipleship and uh, what does it mean to be born again, um, I think that uh, that that then develops into a theological topography that 
has come about in the last, what is it, 150 years since Finney's time. So I think there is some historical aspect to it. Does it predate Finney? I'm, I or, guess, or do, what, are what, you, what, or what, I, have I lost you now? No, no. Um, I, I'm aware of this Finney guy that you mentioned. <laughs> I have heard of him from time to time. Uh, I'm also thinking of the whole Campbellism movement. Okay. Because it seems as if some of Campbell's engagements with uh, baptismal regeneration and his mm. rejection of Reformed theology mm. was the fact of saying this is too complex. Oh, okay, uh, it is it is a foolish thing to say that baptism is not part of salvation. You should not parse it off as an evidence of salvation or as obedience. Um, it's 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 a simpler view and thus a godlier view. <clears throat> Excuse me, and thus and thus it is a, is a godlier view to sit there and say. Baptism is necessary for salvation, or your salvation is not complete until you are baptized. Uh, I know some of his contentions against Calvinism was the fact it was simply too too complex. See, I didn't know that. You're 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 uh, instructing me here as we talk. I didn't realize that the the Campbell theology was one of of simplicity. Was that any in any way tied to the the um, hermeneutic of humility? I think idea? maybe the hermeneutic of Kentucky. <laughs> and I may be speaking out of line, but the area in which it rose, and if I'm wrong about this, feel free to email in and correct me on it because I'll check after we're done. But I believe we're looking down in Kentucky or Tennessee or someone. Yeah, it's, that's the area for sure that um, it comes from. That the fact of this simplicity, and, and to think of you see a battle down there with Presbyterianism, and then you see some of uh, – Early Baptist, and I, I'd say in the earliest days of Baptist theology here in the United States, to not be landmark almost was an exception rather than a rule of some sort of continuationism. Um, and then to have Campbellite, Campbellism come in, you know, and to say, hey, uh, we have a better way. You don't have to parse your baptism like the Baptists do or be part of this debate between the Baptists and the Presbyterians. I remember reading a book about uh, some Baptist theologian. I forget the name of him now. He wrote a, a magnum opus against the Methodists called The Great Iron Wheel. I, hmm. I read part of it. And there's this continual battle back and forth and contention. And then along come the Campbellites and say, we have a better way. And I wonder... If it's not only a, a lack, pardon me, a desire for simplicity, but a desire for a lack of conflict, hmm. we don't want anybody to be wrong. Hmm. So doctrine divides, and so we're not going to talk about doctrine, that sort of an idea? Or? I'd say there's at least some of that. Okay. I'd at least say some of that, because if you look at, at the strange fire, the, the, the issues with strange fire, and, and pardon me, I'm going to lump a lot of you into the same boat, and, and here's my broad brush, okay? <laughs> I was kidding out. about that, by well, the way. That no, was... <laughs> but I, I, I'd say some. I won't say all, but I'd say a lot of the problem with the broad, with 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 the with the uh, complaints against strange fire was the idea of saying, uh, "You hurt my feelings. You've hurt mm. his feelings. You're going to hurt feelings by putting this out there." Uh, you've mentioned the naked pastor post to me. You know that right. somehow God is being consigned, not literally, but he's making the uh, satire there. And I think when people do that, they don't want to parse their own beliefs and ask themselves the question, could I be wrong? 
Mm. And I think that there is almost a knee gut reaction to claiming some type of a paleo Christianity mm-hmm. drawing back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at least as far as Augustine, who was kind of like the C.S. Lewis of the early church. Sure, sure. <laughs> did, did Augustine um, did Augustine promote? I mean, I I can't tell this from any of his writings that I've read. Did he promote a simplistic Christianity in that sense, a simplistic s- faith? I think he promoted a simplistic obedience. If I'm okay. put it that way, saying, "Hey, if you know this, you better do it." Okay. Now, I think he parsed things too far. I don't know if you're familiar with this whole uh, pear argument from the confession, saying that if you eat a pear and it's not, and it isn't primarily to feed your hunger, then there is something wrong going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not an Augustinian uh, scholar by any stretch, but I have heard that argument before. So let's maybe. Um, Take it to the practical for a minute. Maybe we'll okay. just kind of shift back and forth between the, the practical and the, well, you know, anecdotal maybe uh, somewhat. When someone comes to you and says, um, you know, uh, your preaching is really good, um, but I don't go for all of that theology stuff. Well, the whole idea, first of all, my preaching being good. I don't know if I experienced <laughs> that yet. Uh, we're we're in the hypothetical realm. We're in the total hypothetical realm. <laughs> uh, so, but, but somebody comes to you and says, you know, I, I appreciate your sermons, um, but but they're a little heavy on theology for me, and I'm just a simple Christian. How would you, as a pastor, respond to that? I think looking at it in terms, and I think this is where I see simple faith. I think simple faith is the core of the believer's identity in the fact that every time you see something, God say something, you need to believe that it is true. Right. Right. But God says many, many things. Yeah. So there are actually a fair amount of very, very simple statements that we are supposed to believe. Sure. And if I'm doing my job right as a pastor... I'm not trying to create complexity for complexity's sake, but as you lay out the various facts and say simply believe this, believe that, you've actually experienced this somewhat yourself in your 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 series through the Pentateuch, where you see truth laid upon truth, right, and their their own connections start to be formed, right. It takes on a complexity, but not a complexity of confusion, right. Right, but a complexity of clarity. Yeah, and, and that's very good, Gary. As I was processing this, um, the first thing I don't want people to hear when they hear a conversation about simple faith is that there is not such a thing as simple faith. I, I think that you've you've really uh, covered that well in what you just said, because Jesus does tell us, of course, that. It takes the faith of a child, which we would assume is simplistic faith, yes, and, and, and to enter the kingdom of heaven. I would rather use simple rather than simplistic. Okay, because yeah. there that's they're, good, they're, they're, and, and there's negative connotations. With right, the right. No, that's a good point. That's a good. That's a good demarcation there. Um, so yeah, so it's a simple faith like a child that that in, in which we enter into the kingdom. But I would say, as you just mentioned, uh, maybe to nutshell it a little bit, it doesn't stay there because these simple truths build upon one another until we have something that is 
that requires us as those who are born again, who have experienced the grace of God, who, who, who want to continue to experience the, the glory of God in our life that, that, that causes us to dig deeper. And, and, and then I think even in that, there is this healthy demarcation between stuffing our head full of knowledge because, you know, knowledge puffs up versus really experiencing the glory of God in his, um, in, in the truths that he does reveal about himself. So I, I would want to make that distinction. We're not saying simple faith is is wrong, but we can't sort of make that an excuse to not further our understanding of God and seek to worship him more knowledgeably. I think a good example of that, and this is not original with me. I was talking about this with my family yesterday. Um, I think Abraham is an excellent example mm. of someone who starts off with some very simple facts laid before him. Yes. And they, if you look at how those simple facts, God adds more and more until he's at a point where he's got a knife raised over his son. Mm. And those facts led to a very simple faith that God made this promise. He made the promise through Isaac. And if I kill my child, he'll raise up from the dead. Mm. That is a very simple faith mm. based upon a series of facts that God had laid before him. And right. he believed in the integrity of God that he would fulfill his agenda. Yeah, and the point is, is that Abraham was not given any information about resurrection no. to our knowledge. But it was it was a necessary uh, it was it was a necessary conclusion that he drew, and faith compelled him towards that. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's. I mean, yeah. We uh, and I guess the point is too. I think a lot of people, maybe if you swing the pendulum the other direction, are running around, you know, trying to absorb, you know, Erickson and Burkhoff and Grudem and, and all of the systematic, um, the systematics that are out there, um, maybe for the wrong reason. I don't want to assign motive to people, but it almost seems like you swing the pendulum the other direction and you almost have people who are worshiping theology rather than worshiping God. And what do you think about that? Let's take it one step further and okay. ask, we have divorced the learning process from the church. Mm. And by the way, this is not a critique of the seminary system and all of that. Sure. I, I graduated from Detroit. Um, but when we put people in a context where they learn and there's no accountability for how it changes their life other than a grade on a test, mm. we are going to create an imbalance unless there is an intentional, I don't know what I'd call it, some sort of, of intentional plan in place to mm. make sure. In fact, this kind of ties on what we talked about a few weeks ago about ministry, where, where you learn a message and you go through it and you preach it with application right. as a pastor who's going to hold you accountable to make sure that you're going to fall up on what you just preached right right yeah and that's the natural busyness of life how much worse is it for a seminary student who really has no no sort of uh feedback with that except for what he gets on his test i mean literally he is programmed to learn without application. So let me ask you something, and this may be unique to your seminary experience, 
and I want to swing it from that idea of seminary to the idea of uh, the pulpit on Sunday morning. Right. Was your seminary experience such that it, it, it did not have that accountability at a personal level, only at the at the grade level? Because I know that different seminaries operate in different ways, and, and actually one of the things I appreciate about about Detroit is that it's tied to a local church. Um, so did you see that um, in a different way at Detroit? I guess looking back on it, and again, this is 20-some-odd years ago. Because uh, you went a, to seminary when you were 13. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, at that point, there wasn't as much accountability between the professors and the students. Now, to their credit, they made sure that you were involved in a church ministry. It was a requirement. Right. And I was involved with certain ministries where the guys I worked with were pushing back on us making sure that we were applying what we believed. I think one of the most valuable lessons, and uh, Tom, if you hear this, is a shout out to you, Tom Daly, who's now at Central Seminary East in uh, Virginia Beach. Uh, I watched him basically do a sort of catechism with inner city Detroit kids talking hmm. the way through what he was learning in theology class, applying it. And it was examples like that and working in youth work at the time that really made an impact upon the way that I thought on how these things should look. Um, I think that's changed so much in Detroit in the last several years, so far, I'm, I'm hearing. And the same thing, I mean, you could look at Southern, you can look at Southeast, I mean, Westminster, I don't know how, how they look, but I wonder to what degree are we making sure that what you're learning is making a palpable change and that faith is being exercised through obedience. Yeah. And that's, I think the, for me, one of the questions uh, that always, or, or one of the, not even a question, one of the um, truisms that, that comes to mind often when I talk about or hear about theology is somehow separating practical theology from systematic or biblical theology. And I think the axiom is true, all theology is practical, but how do we then not just say it but do it? Um, and I'm talking about the axiom. How do we make sure that we're saying theology is practical and here how, here's how it is practical? So take that seminary setting and translate that into our pulpit ministries on Sunday mornings. Um, when we're preaching through a text, and we do uh, you know, mention, uh, as you did this last Sunday in your sermon, I had the privilege of, of uh, being with you this last Sunday. You were that, asleep through most oh. of it, man. You were. You had your head back and you were snoring. I was, I was glorying, I was glorying <laughs> in, the, in the presence of the Lord as you preached, and the word was being expounded so wonderfully. No, but I mean, even as you went through that, you mentioned election, which is a buzzword uh, in one in a good way or a bad way, depending on who's listening in. The, the word election comes up and immediately people's uh, flags go up, whether those are red flags or green flags. Um, but but it was in the text. You you dealt with the text. And, and so you raised a theological point in the text. Um, how does that translate into the application? And I heard you do that very well on Sunday, by the way. How does that translate, and not just taking that 
theological position or, or that that um, that po- theological point, but how do we translate that theology into application for our people? I think by simply showing them what it means to believe that. Okay. What does it mean? I mean, we were, I, I think specifically where Christ ties in perseverance with election in John six. What does it mean for us to believe this? What's that going to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, How's that going to feel? What's the texture of your thoughts? How is that going to affect you when you disobey, when, 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 when you obey? Um, where is your confidence? Uh, I, I think pulling back to a question you asked at the very beginning, I'll kind of throw this in your direction. Is there a different type of faith than simple faith? Hmm. I mean, li- quite, quite literally. Right. Would you define faith in any other way? Well, there there is belief in other things, right? I mean, we see that in, you mentioned the Gospel of John, we see belief in miracles. Uh, we see belief in um, a pseudo-Messiah that, that, that the Pharisees in Israel had created. But would you say so, that's still a simple faith in and of itself? No, I would say that there is a, there is a um, tenacity to that faith Otherwise, you wouldn't have the conflicts that Jesus faced with with the religious leaders of the day. I, I think that those people held on to that very strongly and believed it. And, and I mean, even Jesus says, "You search the scriptures out because you think in them you'll find salvation." And correct my quoting here if I'm wrong, but in them you need to find me. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was this sense of um, I don't know if tenacity is the right word. Um, but but they were believing something. It was just the wrong thing. And I would say that there was a deepness, there was a searching out in that, um, in regard to that. But I think it's interesting. If I, I don't want to redirect, but I want to I want to bounce off of something that you said. That when when you say something about you know here is election in the text and believing it means something for your life. I think this is exactly what. The, re- the reason I raised this question for us to talk about today, I think that's exactly what we're confronting people with when they say, I just have a simple faith. We're saying if you're seeking to live your life as a Christian, you're going to be confronted with these matters in the text, and you cannot leave them alone. You cannot live life sort of in this um, detached way from the Scriptures so as to not have to deal with these matters when they arise. Does that make sense? It it, it, it does, and I, I kind of swinging back and pulling away a bit. <clears throat> you saw the article that was posted, uh, was it the Gospel Coalition, about why, and where did all the Calvinists come from? Right, you know, right, they, yes. They were, they were sown like dragon's teeth, and uh, they rose from the soil, elect, uh, so <laughs> forth. Sure. And uh, how much of that resurgence of Calvinism has led to people having a sour taste in their mouth mm. for theology mm. because of the way that it's approached. And I, I'm i presupposing it's sometimes it's approached in a poor way. We, we've talked about a mutual acquaintance of ours who kind of tore up the ground mm. through, you know, we're going to be Calvinist or else. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... Um... Uh, maybe maybe talking about that pendulum swing in the other direction, it's almost like an an overemphasis on a system 
and I want to be careful how I say this because I think systems are important, um, but it becomes almost worshiping that theology rather than worshiping the Christ that is represented in that theology. And I think that, that Christ is very much represented in what we would coin Calvinism, uh, though I don't agree with everything Calvin ever wrote, you know, um, I, I, I I think that it becomes then about rather than shepherding people into an understanding of what the text actually says, it's like don't wrestle against this system because it's what the text says. Do, there's a, there's a yeah. difference there in, I, in the shepherding maybe. There's there's a practical application here as part of that to what degree. Do you expect your people to believe, especially when they are dealing, and I hate to use the term complex, especially in what we're talking about, but if 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 they're dealing with some truths that only become more understood the more mature you get, how much do you demand that they believe at that point? Mm. Yeah, I, I just personally take that very carefully. Um, if somebody has a particular disagreement with something that I've preached, I want to sit down with that person. Uh, be careful that I'm shepherding people into an understanding. Hey, if we don't see eye to eye on these particular matters, um, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's look at the text together. Yes. And I think uh, something that I've heard you say is, you know, if you see me walking away from the text at any point, Call me on that. Let's sit down and talk about it and, and see together what the text actually says. So I think there is a, very much a shepherding thing. So to answer your question, I would say I don't expect people to believe it at that moment, but I do expect them to deal honestly with the text and and be able to not, not to be able to defend my position, but that at the end of the day, that my my position would be the most textual position that, that that it can be, and that I can lead people not to not to hey here's what Jason believes, but this is what the scriptures say. Do you see this here? And if not, why not? And I think that creates a healthy dialogue of uh, even hermeneutics and and how you understand the scriptures and what theology are we bringing to the text and and all those kind of things. A, a slightly different question, off from a different angle, and I appreciated your your answer right there. What is the final result of a simple faith as outlined by some of these people? When they say, hey, all I want is a simple faith, what is that going to end up looking like? How is it going to impact the way we look at church, the way we look at relationships, the way we look at the gospel? Do you see that as a negative or a positive effect? And if so, why? That's a great question. I think... That's why I asked you, so I don't have to answer it. (laughs) Well, I'll throw it back at you somehow. We'll figure it out. (laughs) But uh, I I think if I were to just broad brush, if I could use that term... uh, Oh, you have already. uh, (laughs) If if I were to uh, take it in a general way, I would say it leads to the possibility of a lackluster uh, walk with Christ. Okay. A very... A very, if I could then use the word simplistic, walk with Christ without, without a Christianity that bears a lot of weight on how I make decisions, on how I live my life from moment to moment. Um, because to me, it, it sounds like, and again, each case may be a little bit different person to person. It sounds like you're trying to tack on Jesus to your to your life and just kind of say, hey, it. 
maybe like you and I both say, it's my get out of hell free card kind of a faith versus um, what it really means to take up your cross daily and walk with Christ and and to to see what it means to to live sacrificially in in service to God and others as a result of Jesus giving all in regard to my salvation. Um, it just becomes very man-centered, I think, or it could become very man-centered if that is never challenged. I think you put it very well as far as the the attacking on. Um, when we look at the arguments that Paul makes or even our Lord makes, it's one that leads to the other. It's one step that leads to the other. Um, a simple faith that says you are to love one another is fine and good. Right. But then you see Paul saying, okay, what does that look like? I'm thinking right. of Philippians where he says, guess what? You think of other people's needs more than your, your own. Oh, but I use an example. Use Christ. He damaged himself for others. Guess what path you need to walk. You need to serve people until it damages you. Mm. And that is not something that can come about by someone saying, I just have simple faith to believe what God says. You, To me, and it, it, this may sound harsh, I think it's a cop-out, mm-hmm. if I may put it that way. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is a cop-out so you don't have to wrestle with what God is saying about himself and hit the parts of yourself you really don't care for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think in that too is uh, the lack of um, the crevices of our heart, right? G- getting those those investigated in our own heart and life, in our own life. Um, how God's word, as we begin to learn more about Him, again, not just an academic knowledge, but how that begins to uncover things, like you mentioned that I don't like about myself um, that need in one sense to be redeemed still, because we're in this process. We talk about, you know, progressive sanctification and, and what does that look like? It's, it's applying the gospel to every part of my life um, until Jesus comes and, and does the work that I can't, I really can't see, you know, that first John three passage, when we see him, we'll be like him. And we don't know exactly what that means, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. And there, there is, there is a sense in which if you swing the pendulum too far one way or the other, you're either not addressing it because you're not investigating it or you're not allowing it to to touch your life because it's just a head knowledge. I, I know more than you kind of a theology, um, maybe uh, erudite type, approach you bring up a good point i think that the concept of balance is is vitally important kind of tossing something in your court here what what are you doing or how do you encourage your brothers and sisters who are part of your congregation to look at faith in the right way Hmm. what are you doing to encourage them to wrestle with these questions that lead to simple obedience, but to lead to to desire to wrestle somewhat with the complex questions. Yeah, just off the top of my head, not giving it much thought, I, I would say that, that my attempt every week is to challenge everyone who claims to be a believer in Christ to um, whatever passage we're in, see how does that apply? How does the fact that I am a believer in Christ, where does this push me where I've never maybe considered th- that I have an issue with this or uh, push them to consider um, 
where is the glory of God lacking in my life because I don't grasp this truth? And um, in order to grasp this truth, I need to know the God of the Bible and the what, what like you said, what He has revealed about Himself. And so, um, in what sense is it not only getting into me, but what, in what way is it coming out of me? How am I displaying that to those around me? How am I seeking to serve others? How am I seeking to disciple those uh, who who God has placed in my life? Um, and and often the challenge just comes as simply as saying. Uh, I can't take anybody any further than I am, and I have to be. I have to be humble in that. I'm not saying again. I'm some sort of a PhD wannabe um, in an ivory tower somewhere who who could care less about people. But right. but I'm I'm learning this so that it impacts my life, and I want to bring other people with me. How, how about you? I I would echo pretty much what you say. I think ultimately it's the scripture and the Holy Spirit that actually brings them to that place. We have a responsibility, of course, to teach and to model. Uh, I think you have to be careful what books you loan to people. Sure. At what stage that there are. Um, I think there's a sense, hey, why don't you read John Frame's Doctrine of the Knowledge of God? It rocked my world. And mm. they're like, it's 85,000 pages long and full of threes, you know. Uh <laughs> For those of you who read John Frame, you'll you'll know what I'm I'm uh, talking about. And it is a wonderful book, but um, you want to feed people in such a way that they're excited about what they're eating, not that they will say from a distance, uh, "Well, I know that is a very well put together thing, but I cannot invest, but I cannot invest myself in obedience in this particular area." Hmm. It's almost like watching a well-made film. And you watch and you think, man, that film is beautifully done, and I never want to watch it again, and I'm not able to invest it. But, man, the camera angles are great. The lighting was great. It was all great. But I would rather watch another episode of Duck Dynasty, than, <laughs> which for me, I don't, I'm don't. i not a big fan of it. <laughs> to me, it, it's it's kind of the same way. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in our learning, we're like, hey, read read Calvin's Institutes or read this or read that. And, and uh, we forget that our goal is to feed – is is to mature them and not to um and i don't know if i'd use the term entertain but but not to educate them right and i right. don't know if that's an i don't know if those are fair terms to use but i think you understand what i'm no, saying no i i get it and that's a really good i think that's a very good shepherding answer um to know where your people are to know what they can handle not again not to say well i mean they are babes there are babes in christ there are young children in christ there are those that are that are growing that can maybe uh, you, you recognize that they could handle a, a, a John Frame book versus, um, you know, I think a guy who does a really good job of, of taking concepts and bringing them down to our um, down to a level where you can just hand somebody a book is Piper. You know, for instance, just don't waste your life. Okay, what's the concept of that? We understand the concept of that, but for somebody who's a who's a babe in Christ, I think you hand them a book like that and you say, hey, this would be a really good opportunity for you to understand what it means to be. Uh, born again, what it means to bear your cross um, every day, and, and this is what God is telling us. He's telling us, "Don't waste our lives that He's given us now in Christ." Um, and, and you know, Piper's able to be very winsome and use sort of uh, anecdotal type um, 
examples in there that, that helps bring somebody along. But we could we could take that same concept, you know, out of uh, a systematic theology by Grudem, and and hand that to someone and say, hey, here's here's what God expects of you um, as a believer. That would say, in essence, don't waste your life, but it is a very um, it, it's a lot more intensive way of going about that. Right. Is that sort of where, where you're thinking? Yeah, is I, would, I would say basically, and you put it very well, I, I think, again, the, the desire is to see people grow. And to something I said at the beginning, I do want my people to exemplify. I want to exemplify a simple faith. You know, uh, I, you're not old enough to have grown up in the 70s with this, but there was, I remember, uh, I saw it as a, as a refrigerator magnet. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And right. it is rather simple, but I right. think there's a point where we say, okay, you know, I've, I've gone through and God said this and he, he, I believe it. And now I have to obey it. There really right. is no choice in the matter. There's no optional aspect to any of this. And I think that in itself is very healthy. As long sure. as we understand every time one of these truths come out, obedience is now, you know, this this plate is served to us. Like, okay, how are you going to obey this? That's the big question. Right, right. And simple faith says, now that I know this is true, I'm going to do it. Right. In fact, I would say for those who who would claim, well, I'm, I'm just someone who, who does simple faith. And you referred to this earlier. I thought you put it well, but just to reemphasize, there... It, it impacts their walk with Christ. It, it, it literally hamstrings it mm-hmm. because they can't see the beauty and the glory of who he is as he fully reveals himself in Scripture because they're basically, I'm not interested in looking at that. Right. Yeah, and I think, I think you're, what you're doing is you're distinguishing between maybe simple faith and simplistic faith, if I could use that term. That may not be a bad way to look at because it. Because I think the first one is... The first one is an attitude. You know, if God says it, I'm going to to believe it and obey it. And I think that's the attitude that all of us need to have. What that ends up doing, and I and you put this well earlier, is it ends up layering our theology. It yes. ends up it ends up not to use the word complexity in a negative sense, but it ends up building and building and building our theology of God. Which then is obviously the the apex of all theology, because everything ultimately points to God in regard to who He is and what He desires of us and what He has done. Um, versus those who are just making an excuse, maybe we could call that a, sim, a simplistic faith. Though they would say it's a simple faith, and it's to say I don't want to be bothered with the deep things, or what they would maybe coin as the deep things, because I don't want to be bothered with obedience. There is that. There's one other thing that that came to mind, and this may be an exception to the rule. And when people are talking about this, I understand. But there are those who approach the text, and I speak specifically in the areas of egalitarianism and gay rights with with the text. And the text will clearly say, okay, this is how God looks at homosexuality. This is how God looks at leadership in the church. And they come up with a very complex answer on why that's simply not to be you know paul is referring to monogamous or non-monogamous relationships in the church monogamous, <laughs> uh, channeling the muppets there yes uh, <laughs> or the fact that really it just had to do with the local church at ephesus it had nothing mm-hmm. to do with any other church and those ladies were were problems and they make it more complex and i found my myself saying well, well that's simply what the text says right 
And if right. the text says it, you know, I will right. very simply say, well, then that's what it says. And, and I think right. the distinction needs to be drawn there, too. Yeah, and in fact, I had that very thing happen with the text in First Timothy 2 in a class that I'm teaching right now where I just put on display that if you simply read it for what it says and you include, you know, the idea of creation that, that Paul appeals to, one of my students said to me, wow, that's just so simple. If you just read it for what it says, there it is. Right. And I think that is a great illustration of what we're talking about today. That'd be true. I, and other things we may talk about some other time, the whole creation account. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. things like that. And, and there's issues on either side, but are we moving towards a more complex view? Right. Because once, and I say this as a young earth creationist, um, I think that if you deny this is what God is saying, you've made the whole creation story and the fall of man far more complex than the text calls for it to be. And I can understand someone coming along and saying, just read it for what it says. Yeah. And th- and that opposed to, Gary, the idea, because some people would accuse Calvinists of being too complex. Yes. But but that that is opposed to kind of taking all the texts that talk about election uh, reprobation and all those kind of things and saying when you put all these together there is a paradoxical nature to all this that does make it fairly complex compared to just a straight ahead reading of a narrative like Genesis 1 right so so there we're not saying there aren't complex doctrines but don't make it unnecessarily complex when the text makes it so plain and and I would say in some ways you can't get away from election in Ephesians 1 or John 5 and right. 6 and, and those kind of things. So Right, and I would say also, and this is another element of the mystery thing we really haven't had time to discuss, but the, but the, but, but, but the mystery aspect. You know, we know when it comes to election and free will, God puts tab A into slot B, and we have no idea how he does it. Right. We just know it is, it is true. You right. Know, where right. God is sovereign and determines man is responsible I'm not sure how that happens. I right. really don't know. And right. to be content with that, right? to me, that's also a simple faith. Okay, these sure. two things are true, right? and I'm not going to try to parse past that. Right. No, it's a great, it's a great way to, to put it and to show that even the complexities uh, that we come up with, e- even the answer to that is, I'm going to believe it because it's what God says. And it, and it reveals something about him, and in that isn't, He's not seeking to confuse us. He's seeking to have us glorify him. And so when we get to that, maybe, and I think this passage is overused, that Deuteronomy 29, 29 type moment where we just go, the secret things belong to the Lord. Yes. You know, and, and I do think we hit that wall quite often as we begin to, to, to move into these things. I just think sometimes people put that at the beginning rather than at the end. Um, we just say, okay, now I'm just going to worship him. I'm going to worship the I'm going to worship the paradox paradoxical nature from my mind, but worship the God who understands that. You yes. Know? Not worship. The, uh, I said that wrong. I'm going to worship the God who understands that, and and has put it as simply as he can to the finite human mind that still can't figure it out. Yes, and I think us being made in the image of God. And pardon me if I wax a little bit philosophical here. It's almost as if he leads us as far as he can to how we understand how we can understand him, and then the map after that says, "Here there be monsters." Yeah, 
you can look out in there and wonder what it's like, but you can't say this is what the geography is really like because we do not have the capacity to understand an eternal being who never changes. Right, right. And we don't know what we don't know. Well, and, and Gary, I don't mind if you wax philosophical as long as, as long as you do it to a mad beat. A mad beat, yes, <laughs> yes. I, uh, I have no sense of rhythm whatsoever. Well, I think we're about out of time today, brother. I appreciate the conversation, and hopefully others will benefit from this as well. And, and again, as, uh, if you wish to uh, complain, feel free to send us emails. Uh, the uh, address will be at the uh, website. Um, I will ignore them and ask Jason to answer them because I'm sure no one would, would ever disagree with what we had to say to, 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 uh, today. Uh, if you would have something you'd like us to go over, to discuss, or even if you'd like to call in and ask some questions as part of the broadcast, please let us know. Uh, this is for your benefit, and it's also for our benefit, for Jason and I to work through some of these things. And uh, we thank you for your willingness to listen and hope you feel like you haven't wasted your time today. And that email address is twc at fbcpi.org. Again, that's twc at fbcpi.org. We hope to hear from you, and we'll catch you next time.